What is up? Good day, everybody. This is episode 10 of the Ask LFC podcast. I am Harrison Gilming, Worship Arts Director here at Lake Forest Huntersville, sitting here with... Mike Moses, lead pastor of, uh, sometimes I say the whole title, the Lake Forest family of churches and lead or teaching pastor at Lake Forest Church Huntersville. Good to see you, Harrison. It is good to be here. Six feet away from me. That's right. You know, like like six weeks ago when this all... um, started breaking out with coronavirus, especially that first episode, we changed our like our kick in music to something like a little bit more chill. Mm-hmm. I feel like it, I feel like next time it may Harrison. be time to go back to like that nice, like don't aren't isn't North Carolina moving to phase two, uh, next Friday. I, I, I believe so. Yeah. How, how about when phase two happens? That's when we change the music back to a little, little more upbeat. All right, I think that'd be a very <laughs> that'd be appropriate because I miss it, man. It was a good, it was a good little jam. It was a groove, yeah. Yeah, it was good stuff. That's that sets the tone. Um, but yeah, it's good to be back here with you guys. We're actually really excited uh, today because we just this last Sunday experimented for the first time following uh, an idea. One of the great thing about being a family of churches is. One of our sister churches has a cool idea, and we say, hey, let's try that. Lake Forest Davidson had a, Q- right. a Q&A after their, their teaching on their live stream feed, and we said, man, that sounds cool. We tried it this week, mm-hmm. and a whole bunch of y'all stuck around with us. Yeah. I don't really say y'all, but I just said it there because I was taking it on. I <laughs> yeah. wouldn't normally yeah, say they that. They don't do that in Miami. No, they don't do that in Miami. Um, but yeah. I really enjoyed that. I loved the interactivity of it, and this week will get even better at uh, grabbing the question right that moment when it comes up on the feed. Um, so I'm looking forward to doing that again this Sunday. Harrison. So so all that to say, we, we gave ourselves... Like especially, here's what I like most about the Q&A. Yeah. The, the, the questions, uh, the ones that we interacted with, essentially were a roadmap for me as the preacher of, hey, that would have been helpful to address in the sermon. Or if you're going to go five minutes longer... Um, this would have been a really like in particular the question about um, having patience with or forbearing yourself. That was that that led me to a whole new engagement with Galatians five. So I I I really enjoyed that. Yeah, it was it was a neat time. So as a result of that, we gave ourselves about ten minutes for that, and we are for sure going to continue doing that for the foreseeable future, mm-hmm. and we're going to probably continue to keep that somewhere around 10 minutes just to, mm-hmm. you know, value everybody's time and everyone wants to go eat their Sunday lunch and, and go nowhere, <laughs> whatever people are doing right now. <laughs> um, but as a, as a result of that, we have a nice little handful of extra yes. questions. And we picked out three. That's right. For the so, podcast. so we have three questions we're going to get to, uh, that were given to us by a couple of ministry partners and one of our elders, mm-hmm. which we're excited to get to. But first, um, before we tackle those questions, we wanted to just take like three minutes and give you guys kind of the inside sneak peek. This is like, how many disclaimers should we put on it's this? It's completely <laughs> unbaked. It's not yeah. even wet cement. It's the ingredients that haven't been mixed together yet. That's right. But it's it's the it's the very beginning level thinking to the question that we talked a little bit about. You talked a little bit about Sunday and here we are on Wednesday. It's three days later. And as is the way of the world right now, we've had 10 more discussions and things mm-hmm. have changed even more since then. So we have done a lot of thinking. Mike has, has been speaking with a group of uh, 
other lead pastors. That's kind of a group of... Uh, From around the country, yeah. and they're in our denomination of larger churches. They're my closest group of colleagues, trusted friends. We have an annual retreat, and then we, but we Zoomed last week. Talking about this question, what would a phased-in uh, return to live church look like? And um, <clears throat> nobody has an, a precise answer to that. We all know that it will depend on um, what our uh, state government in particular will, will key off of them. We're being humble and submissive to our authorities and appreciate that they're leaning into medical expertise. And Harrison, um, we'll probably lean into medical expertise among our Lake Forest leadership as well. That's right. Um, but we're kicking around a few ideas um, because it will happen. And it'll come back and like they'll say, okay, now 50 people can gather. It's still just 10 right now even for religious purposes. Mm-hmm. Well, so what about when they say 50? What about when they say 100? What about 250? And so we're, we're, here's, here's our, our, our first working idea for when they say, you know, 25 to 50 is okay. Then, again, according to everyone's conscience, we started kicking around, well, what if? Obviously, we're still going to be doing live online worship, uh, for the foreseeable future, and we'll continue to dial that in and try to make it m- more um, uh, congruent with the medium. So this week, I, we all took a comp- sip of coffee together. I had a stop and discuss question and a few other things that we're trying to make work in the Q&A. Um, that's going to continue for some time. For example, there are members of our church who probably should not g- gather in any group until they're vaccinated because of various health conditions or age considerations. I know who those people are, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I would be like, hey, don't, you know. Um, which, which really is a, that was a, um, an aha moment for us, because I think within the first, the first couple weeks of us doing this, all of us, had this grand dream of like, oh yeah. man, the days when the doors open back up, everyone's gonna flood in. It's yeah. gonna be this Mother's big Day. party. Yeah. It's gonna be so good. And then it's just it's, not gonna be. That. It's dawned on us over weeks that yeah. we're going. We we need to take just like everybody have to take a different approach to this. In particular, as a large church, we're in that category of of uh, Broadway productions and concerts and things, and so and big sports arenas. And so we'll be watching what other folks do. But but here's our here's our first idea, live online. But for those who feel um, comfortable when it's 25 to 50 people, we thought about what if at the same time, still live, Sunday, 10 a.m., we were like, hey, what if you held a um, house church brunch party? And let's say it's a community group that feels comfortable gathering with appropriate um, physical distancing uh, or a cul-de-sac, a, a block of a street that's been doing that out in our, our cul-de-sac's been doing that. We, we'll sit out in camp chairs um, with distance uh, and the kids run around. So what if says, hey, we're going to cook brunch and have a, a brunch party. We're going to set up a screen, you know, either inside or outside with speakers. And I've already heard of people doing this a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I would build even more interactivity in if I were going to do it, if we were going to add this option for, hey, let's have prayer happen right there, et cetera. So that's one of the ideas that we're thinking about that that is not just playing defense. That's going on offense back to the early church roots in Acts chapter 2. It says they met together in homes broke bread, and looked into the apostles' teaching. How cool would it be to invite some neighbors 
or uh, let's say all the ninth grade boys in Remix meet at their leader's house with distancing. Again, hear us. We, this is, we're looking forward to, and that would be only when our state government said, hey, that's, that's safe. And then for those for whom their conscience uh, allowed, and they're just like, oh my gosh, yes. Uh, so that's a fun way we could actually live missionally, almost pick back up on our Art of Neighboring series from last fall. How do you bless your neighborhood and include them in a worshiping community? Who doesn't love brunch and hanging with friends on the block when you can't go anywhere? So anyway, maybe that's enough of a yeah. of a one idea that we're kicking around. That's a that's a good teaser, and I I I will. It will be really neat to um to hear some stories when that starts happening one day, like you said, down the road. But we know that we have a church full of people that really like hanging out with each other and like connecting and like being close. So I'm sure there are. There are a bunch of people that will hear this and are are already dying for that day. Just just like they're like, and, yeah. You mentioned the word party right. and a few people in my yard, <laughs> and that could be considered living as an on mission Christian. Oh, please give me permission for that. Yes, yes. <laughs> I know who those people are. That's fun. All right. Well, let's uh, let's turn to the questions now. Um, we got three of them. The first one is from. Uh, one of our elders, Mark Torenberg. Uh, oh, you're naming him. That's right. He wrote. Okay. He wrote this uh, comment to us on the on the chat on our uh, on our Facebook version of the stream. Okay. Which, mm-hmm. uh, side note, if you're if you're on Facebook, um, that's a pretty neat way to watch the service. If you're not watching it, putting up on your big TV, um, we have a lot of people that are kind of chatting and hanging out during that. So it's a little mini tiny yeah. sense of community yeah. to be yeah, able to yeah, interact yeah. with people in real time. So he said, um, the paraphrase version of Mark's question is this, um, Christians, people who call themselves Christians, people who, and who, who therefore have the Holy spirit. We've established this in that's the series. Right. People biblically. Who, people who have the Holy spirit, uh, don't always display the fruit of the spirit. In fact, sometimes they, act in the flesh. They hurt people. Mm-hmm. They, they do things that are counter mm-hmm. to who Christ is. And when that happens, uh, people who are not Christians see that and they go, oh man, that's what Christians are all about. That's what Jesus is all about. No thanks. And we see that happen. So the question is, why is the Spirit not more forceful in producing the fruit of the Spirit in us so that that does not happen? I've never thought that's a really good question, and and we're going to accept the premise because we all understand that that's true. Um, and I'm going to accept the premise that uh, real Christians who have the Holy Spirit that that's true. That's I mean that's why Paul wrote the chapter five, the end of his letter to the Galatians, because we have the works of the flesh, which desire wage war within us against the fruit of the Spirit, uh, and uh, I'm going to dive into the scripture a little bit more. This coming Sunday, he wrote to the Christians in Rome. This is the Apostle Paul writing for his own self, his own apostolic self at a mature part of his ministry. The things I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, I do. Who will set me free from this wretched body of sin and death? Mm-hmm. So we're going to accept the premise because Paul gives us that premise in his own life and writing to the baby Christians who were on fire. Um, why does the Holy Spirit not a, um, a bit more, what, what was the word there? 
why is he not more forceful mm. in in producing yeah, fruit in us? Which you, which you think of, uh, you think of a farmer, you know, working the ground and and all the things that they do, you know, very directly, forcefully helping. Yeah. But even then, there's only so much that that farmer can do in that as yeah. well. So, um, that's a really good question because we want the Holy Spirit to be. I, I might accept for the Holy Spirit to be more forceful and to make me. Um, not indulge my flesh and uh, over-talk people in meetings or be the guy who who talks over the voice of other. I'm just naming one of my <laughs> acts of the flesh. Uh, regards my own views as so much higher than others that therefore uh, I do talk over them in meetings, for example, which is the leader should talk last, not first. I know that. I've read those books. I've written the articles. <laughs> Um, and I still lean into that work of the flesh because it, it can tap into some ugly stuff inside of me if I get into motivations about that. I'd like for the Spirit to be coercive. I love our church. I love our staff. I love our elders. I would love to always be walking in the Spirit in the way that I lead those meetings. Um, and I would, I'd probably do a deal with the Holy Spirit. Would you coerce me? Would you just take me over? And in fact, that's a little bit of an image that Paul writes. He says in one of the New Testament letters, don't be drunk with alcohol. Be, And he uses the word, be inebriated or be full of the Holy Spirit. Uh, um, and there are ways that I can do that my own self. I'd almost prefer, to, to Mark's point, Spirit, would you just pick the times when I need to peak? I need peak spiritual performance right now. Just take me over. Um even in a coercive way, but the Spirit does not do that. Here's one answer that is a wrong answer, although it's popular. Well, that means those people aren't Christians. That is biblically inaccurate. Once you are a Christian and have been saved by the blood of Christ, you've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. And as Paul says, uh, Jesus became sin for you so that you become the righteousness of God. That's a mystical, spiritual DNA transaction that happens the moment of salvation. Um, And it means that you're eternally secure. Jesus says, any I put in my Father's hands, I will not, he, he will not let go. I could go on and on about this, but I'll just make the declarative point that, um, uh, persistent, or even consistent sin in a believer's life does not mean that they are not saved or not a believer. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Otherwise, the Apostle Paul wouldn't have been struggling at the end of his ministry when he wrote Romans. The things I don't want to do, I do. Things I do, I don't. I want to do, I don't do. And, and his answer is, I need the Holy Spirit who's already in me. But if he struggled with sin, perhaps even habitual sin, then then so will other believers, and that does not mean we question our salvation. Uh, uh, don't let anyone tell you that. Hmm. Um, lastly, Mark, it's a really good question, and I think it just, to me, it just means don't we, it, I, I bet we've all heard, um, who, I don't know who said this first, but um, uh, uh, that, God is a gentleman. He does not um, knock down our door. He does not tear the door off the hinges. 
he does not beat upon it until we let him in. But Revelation says he knocks on our door. And that verse, um, you know, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any will open, I'll come in. That verse was written to believers. The book of Revelation was written to believers. Not that non-believers can't read it, but it's to Christians. And so the Holy Spirit is standing at the door knocking, saying, Hey, I'm ready to bear my fruit in you this minute, tomorrow, next hour, rather than you living out the works of the flesh. But, but again, the, the phrases are, open the door, walk in the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, live by the Spirit, Galatians 5 says, and you will not um, live in the works of the flesh. Hmm. So, Mark, um, one of the things we cherish about God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is that he does not abrogate our own will. He is not coercive nor abusive. He respects us, so much to the point that he allows self-harm and harm to the reputation of the body of Christ. But he loves us and views the dignity of the image of God within us so strongly that he will not abrogate it. That's really what I think the answer to that question is. It feels similar, it feels similar to me to um, kind of the, the moment that you are standing at the altar with your spouse-to-be and you say, I do, and kind of expecting that in that moment, once and for all, that... Now love is done. Yes. Now we coast and this job is finished. But it, but you, you, uh, you well wake said. up every single day and you make decisions yeah. that, that kind of substantiate that initial decision that you made that says, yes, I, I love this person. I'm here to partner with this person in my life. I open the door to their feedback and and helping me grow as a person that I respect as I have a relationship with them so it's not like I do all right it's done done forever and you've experienced uh, so has Mark uh, he and his wife uh, help lead our marriage ministry you've experienced that God is not coercive to make you the husband that you should be uh, for Emily even though God loves Emily so much and God on that day he's like man I'm giving Harrison as a gift to be the highest human blessing in Emily Gilming's life. Like, he's the guy who would be the top human agent to help her flourish as a woman and experience what it is to be loved and cherished. But God has not coerced you into that, Harrison. He will cooperate through the Holy Spirit every step you take in that direction, but he will not coerce you into that. We've all experienced that in our marriages. It is our calling and our beautiful opportunity to cooperate with the Holy Spirit to bear his fruit toward our spouse in that. That's a great example. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a continual, it's a continual decision of your will and emotion. And it would be so, it'd be so much easier. It'd almost be like a cheat code. And and Mark, I'm super happy that the Holy Spirit does not coerce me in the moments when, when I really want to indulge my flesh um, and treat somebody poorly. I'm really glad I'm not coerced by the Spirit, but I'm really mad about it when, like you, I see myself or others defame the name of Christ publicly. For me, it's when I see a pastor who either uh, fails morally or I see them failing more by succeeding, quote-unquote, but leading in such an ugly, fleshly way that reflects 
the leadership of the world and not the leadership of Jesus. I just get mad, and I, I do. I'm like, Holy Spirit, can't you just make him? <laughs> um, show some humility. Yeah. Um, so good question, Mark. Thank you. Excellent. All right. Question number two. Um, this is from uh, Courtney Donaldson. She said that pre-forgiven mm-hmm. is a term that resonates with me, especially in relationship to parenting. Uh, is that a conversation or an attitude, or is that something that's developed over time through actions and choices? So how does that that concept apply to uh, us as parents? Thank you, Courtney. And, and that phrase that I used, um, I said that, of course, we can choose to forgive as part of the sermon. I won't go to the backstory, but, but I did, I wanted to paint this picture on purpose without taking the time to unpack it, that it is possible for a believer through, and and this is mainly an answer to your question, through long service of habit, we form, um, Dallas Willard and the divine conspiracy, most of the other spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines, spiritual formation writers talk about the way that God made a human being, uh, well, just in in self leadership, like uh, one of my favorite leadership books is, uh, or or personal productivity books is Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. That's been around a long time. I still give that to young pastors who come on our staff or train under me as a church planner. Pastor Victor's uh, been working through that. Um, but that that the human God has made a human being in a way that if if we practice certain things habitually over time, it it burns a, it it digs a groove into our emotions. It digs a groove into our uh, our life, and so that then therefore we're more habitual about it. And it's possible for a Christian to so ingrain in themselves to forgive others as Christ forgave me for it for it to be become so natural for a Christian to go man they just hurt me man you know all the stuff Jesus forgave about me that can become the habitual next thought oh my gosh so I forgive them and I release them from any indebtedness to me and I treat them as though uh, they never sinned against me. That like that can be so possible that you live with people around you as though they are pre-forgiven. Hmm. Um, and that's beautiful. And I think many of us know people who are like that. I want to be like that. And Courtney, where that came from is a, a sermon I did years ago out of Ephesians 4. It's the last verse of Ephesians 4. Uh, it says Ephesians 4.32. Uh, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So there's the rationale. God's forgiven you, and this is it even in Jesus. Uh, what's his prayer called? The, Lord, the Lord's Prayer. prayer. <laughs> you know, live, forgive as I have been, been forgiven. So like we, owe, we don't owe people trust, but you owe people forgiveness if you're a Christian. But, but the, okay, here's what was super interesting in this verse, and I, I cannot remember where I gleaned this insight. I did not magically know this all by myself. Nothing that I ever teach is that way. I've gotten it somewhere. But, um, but that when Paul says, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. This is one of those famous Greek verb tenses. You know how English language, we've got a certain number of verb tenses, and then the Greek language language because even 2,000 years ago, they were smarter than we are today. They'll have like 10 more verb tenses for all these nuanced meanings. And, and the meaning here, and I'm, I'm not going to remember all the details 
at the moment, but I could go back and look it up if we wanted to have a further conversation, Courtney. Forgiving each other, it's this, it's this tense, not like somebody does something and then you forgive them later. It's, uh, here was the best, uh, I do remember the very specific transliteration of the Greek. It was living in a forgiving manner with each other. You hear that? Living in a forgiving manner with each other. So the lens through which I'm viewing, and, and I was applying this last verse of Ephesians 4 forward into Ephesians 5 and what Paul talks about, marriage, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that he would have, the, the readers would have understood, oh, that includes what he just said, living in a forgiving manner. Think about a marriage, Harrison. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, and Courtney, I know uh, you guys care a lot about marriages and you mentor a lot of people in marriages. Think about a marriage getting to the point of the upward spiral, self-reinforcing of two, cup, two members of a couple who live in a forgiving manner toward the other. Like the other is not walking on pins and needles like, oh, shoot, what if I offend them? If I say the wrong thing, if I flat out sin against them, it's going to be bad. That's going to suck. Um, what if instead, not that it gives me license to sin, but what if I'm in the environment of a marriage in which I know I will not be shamed, I will not be labeled for the rest of my life, I will not be reminded of this failing for the rest of my life, I will experience an environment of forgiveness, therefore grace, therefore the ability to move on. Lord, think of the freedom that feels like. When, when your spouse treats you that way. So that's what um, pre-forgiveness or living in a forgiving manner is. There's a lot of also interesting theological discussions about that um, that we won't get into now. Um, uh, I remember one article, has Jesus pre-forgiven everyone and it's just up to us to ask. That's an interesting question. Hmm. I, um, sorry to throw out something, <laughs> a, 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 a can of worms, but yeah. um, Courtney, thank you for, for I, I was very intentional at inserting what to me is a powerful phrase at that point in the sermon and then just moving on. But thank you for, a lot of people said that was a takeaway for them. Something that you said uh, in the beginning of that uh, sparked a thought for me that I thought was, I've always thought was really interesting and I... Uh, pull back up something that I read a little while back. Um, so there is a, a direct brain science proven okay. about the, the amount of time that you do a thing or don't do a thing. If it's a thing you want to start doing or a thing you want to stop doing that over time, as you perform, whatever the action is, the actual like neural pathways in your brain change it's physically observable it's physically so here's what a here's what a brain scientist said she said her name is debbie hampton she's way smarter probably than both of us whoever you are debbie hampton says when you try to adopt a new behavior you have to enlist your prefrontal cortex your thinking brain and insert conscious effort intention when you perform that new routine enough times connections in your brain are made and this behavior literally requires less effort as mm. it becomes a default mm. pattern. It's like you don't have to think about it because yeah. you're going right past the thinking part. It's just it just starts to happen on its own. And maybe the Holy Spirit is most important at those first couple of times when I say 
like the Apostle Paul, here's what I want to do Mm -hmm. in contradistinction to what I have been doing. And it's a revealed part of God's will for me, for my character. Um, And that's when the Holy Spirit's power is most needed and available. And so... Harrison, that, I think that leads to a lot of insight, particularly when we, when we really repent of what has been a habitual sin. That's the moment when we need the most sensitivity to keep in step with the Spirit to change that pattern, and it can become a normative force. That's really helpful. Think about Paul saying, uh, let me be transformed by the renewing of my mind. Oh, how oh crazy my, is that? Oh my gosh. That's like a literal, it, you could, you could apply that literally to, to Holy spirit. Help me form new oh my actual patterns in my brain. Sermon alert, sermon alert. <laughs> we need cool. to do that. We need to show pictures of the brains. We need to, we have flat out got to do that. That is profound. Cool. That's, that's pretty crazy. Well, thank you, Courtney for yeah helping, helping us figure some of that stuff out we have we have one more question that um just a light little question to yeah finish right with. it's like a little little whipped cream on top we saw this pop up on sunday morning and, and kind of debated whether we wanted to attack it real quick and our our judgment in the moment was let's let's give this a little bit more space to talk about because this is a this is a big deal for for a lot of people, or there's maybe there's a certain subset of people that this is this okay. is the big deal of, of okay. their life right now. Uh, our our great great friend uh, Brent Campbell, uh, who uh, helps to lead uh, InterVarsity Ministry at UNC Charlotte, mm-hmm. um, sent Anna this, Newlywed, Anna Newlywed sent this question into us uh, just in time for the shutdown. That's Let's right. That's right. That's actually super mm-hmm. important right now. He said, can you say more about why forbearance or patience is not staying with an abuser? He said, I don't disagree, but I have friends that routinely struggle with the idea that those two are not one and the same. For them, uh, maybe their patience with their abuser or husband is part of the suffering that God has set aside for them. When you compound that with biblical directives around marriage and divorce, it all gets very messy. Mm. There's no way that I can be exhaustive or do justice to this uh, in today's podcast, but let's talk about it. It's a, it's a good question, and I knew it would catch some ears. Uh, you noticed there, every now and then there's a moment in a sermon where, because of my long years of, of pastoring people and meeting with people, I can kind of spot. Here's where an unhealthy person is going to use the Bible as justification to smack somebody over the head with their own sinful behavior and say, see, the Bible says you're supposed to forbear with me. So I, that, to, out of my experience in meeting with people, um, both people who were abu- abused by an adult when they were a child and in, in abusive marriages, I, I saw that one coming a mile away. And, there, and I knew there's no way it would be irresponsible of me at this stage of my ministry, to not point out what I said about that. Um, although, just like the living pr- with people pre-forgiven, uh, it needed to be brief and then move on uh, for the sake of the whole point of the message. So let's just, th- uh, let me think about this from a few different ways. And um, here's kind of a basic one, perhaps, by analogy. Um only the most sick person, so pretty much nobody, 
We would all say, given uh, biblical ethics and what it means to protect your heart and protect the heart of people that you that you care about and uh, and what God God's will for each person. If we know that there is a child in a, a situation of, of of ongoing abuse, and I'm talking physical, let's stick with physical, mm-hmm. physical or sexual abuse by an adult in their life, let's let's say a parent, there is no one under the sun that I know of um, uh, who would argue, no, 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 they're supposed to stay in that situation. Um, they're that's the authority over them. I guess is maybe the one argument you can make. Um, which is sick, uh, we would all agree. In that moment, the ultimate boundary, and I'm going to, and I used the word boundary setting in the sermon, or maybe that was the marriage thing Thursday night, but um, we would put the ultimate boundary around that circumstance, the boundary of physical separation and the abuser having no access verbally, personally, visually, uh, to that child until and unless they were 100% healed and had shown a complete change by changed actions over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. That's only when you should retrust someone who's damaged you or someone else that much. So by analogy, now understand, uh, that's super clear. When we get to the question of abuse within a marriage, um, to Brent's point, uh, I've had the verse thrown at me in my office by an abusing husband multiple times. And their language sounds almost the same, which I would key into the way that Satan l- doesn't want to tell you stupid stuff that you, you're like, no, that's not God's will. I mean, that's totally opposite. He likes to twist what God has said in his word and reframe it just a little bit for his intent. Men he did that. Yeah, man can't live on bread alone. He did that with Adam and Eve. He did it with Jesus in mm-hmm. his temptation. And the words that have come out of abusive, I'm just going to say husbands now, particularly the, the pattern of control orientation toward the woman involved in the abuse. The words have been eerily similar over decades. Uh, and they revolve around that verse, God hates divorce. And, uh, and they continue on to threaten to sue me uh, if I'm in any way involved in, in uh, assisting a woman to own her value and her dignity and her safety and gift that man, hear me carefully, with an action of love, which is to remove or absent yourself from his access to give him the opportunity to feel and experience how much pain he's causing by giving him the pain. And for that really super controlling abusive man, usually the pain is his public image. He worships at the idol, at the altar of, I'm viewed as a family man, as a stand-up guy in the community. And when she dares to leave the home, uh, and their f- circle of friends, their pastor knows he's been knocking me down or whatever it is. Um, that illusion is shattered. And then he either responds with humility and repentance, um, which unfortunately in my experience is very rare in this type of case. And I'm, I'm taking a strong case here. 
Or he responds with kicking up as much dust as he can to keep up the appearance. He's a good man and she's crazy. Um, I have had more than, in fact, the third time, again, their script has sounded eerily the same. Harrison, I've said a few times publicly that when I've been with people with thoughts of self-harm, particularly suicide, their ideation sounds eerily the same. And I, I believe the demonic hones in when someone's really struggling with thoughts of self-harm and, and loves to feed into their self-talk, which sounds like self. Mm-hmm. But it's so similar, I think there's a demonic element. I think the same in this case. So after I was threatened to be sued the third time, uh, I went out and, and my state farm, talked to my state farm agent and I, I now I have, I carry an extra, uh, umbrella liability policy on myself and my house. In addition to our professional liability here at Lake Forest, um, I had, I don't, I don't need to go on with, with purient, uh, personal stories that I've been involved with, but, um, Harrison is, am I making sense? Am I getting to the point? I think you are. I think on the bottom line of all of it, I think a, lo- a part of what Brent is getting to, there's a, there's a passage that uh, just as you and I were, were talking about this question here a few minutes before we hit record, there's a passage in the book of James where it basically says, count it for joy when you face, you know, temptations, trials, um, because those are basically, uh, there are opportunities for God to grow character in you. So what, what Brent is, getting at the bottom of all of this here is can you speak to if there is a person that is in that situation and they're saying, well, I really shouldn't kick up any dust. I shouldn't say anything. I shouldn't, uh, I shouldn't, you know, I, I shouldn't stand up because this could just be God's plan for me mm-hmm. to make me a better Christian. Um, and yes, without trying to say it too nicely or finely that is incorrect (laughs) theology um uh, in fact so yes god hates divorce and divorce is not his will for any marriage god hates spousal abuse violence toward another person or extreme emotional violence toward another person that beats down their their dignity and their identity as a beautiful daughter or son of, of God in Christ. And so two, two sins don't make a right. Um, and so in, in, if this helps, this has helped me, friends of mine, who really had this conscience of, yeah, but God hates divorce. I'm like, you're not asking for divorce. Get out, to quote the movie title. Yeah. Get out out and, and and pursue a separation with the option of healing the marriage but there's no option of healing the marriage unless your abuser is willing to repent submit to a process of healing under spiritual authority in their life this marriage god's will still could be fulfilled it could be healed but if that person will not pursue healing they are the one initiating divorce yeah you're initiating separation for the purpose of healing. And so let's take one step at a time. And I've assisted many, um, in every case except one, many uh, women, I and our elders here and other leaders, and we've seen God do beautiful new work in, in, of healing in, in lives and relationships uh, and sometimes coming back together. 
So that's what I would say, well, yeah, I know that God hates divorce. That's why I'm separating. I'm getting safe so that I can become the me I need to be that would not allow this in my life again or tolerate it. And to give, and I'm gifting you with the gift of truth. That's what love is. The truth of this situation is this abuser is sinning royally, dramatically, heinously. And they need to be given, the, but it's as long as they control it in this private sphere and no one else knows, they are not being the, given the gift of truth about their situation and the opportunity for repentance. And, and their little, gee, I'm sorry, I won't happen again talk after every event is baloney. That never, no man ever heals himself. I'm just going to talk about men. Uh, uh, in my experience from being a sexual or physical abuser, they must be given the gift of truth. The light must be shown on it. And, 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 and there, then per, perhaps out of the pain of that, they may be motivated to seek change. One more thing, Harrison. The most commonly recommended book when I sit down with people in my office about situations like this, or let's dial it back from physical abuse. People often come into my office and want to talk about how to set, what, what do I do with the fact that my adult parent is so ugly toward me or my spouse? There's still the patterns from, I grew up in a really unhealthy church. There's still, they will say spiteful things to me. And now my child is getting to the age where they're four or five, and they'll actually be a witness to this. Yep. How do I deal with that? And, and so situations like that or others, there's a book called Bold Love by Dan Allender. Bold Love by Dan Allender. Easy to find it. Um, uh, oh my gosh, it's so good. Um Know the difference between loving an evil person, a fool, and a normal sinner. What it means to honor a wicked parent. Why anger usually outlives forgiveness. How to love an abusive person without opening yourself up to more damage. How a passion for revenge can work on love's behalf. This is a profound book. It's, it's theological and practical. Like there's actual scripts of how you would set boundaries on the phone with a a uh, really unhealthy parent who starts to say negative things about your husband again. And, well, he's a loser, da, da, da. And how you just in the moment go, Mom, I told you, I'm not getting mad. I told you, I'm, I'm not going to have those kind of words put into my heart about my husband. And so I'm sorry you, you violated that. I'll talk to you next week, hopefully, uh, when, when you're ready to talk about positive things. Click. There's a ton of stuff like that in this book. That's great. Um, can you give me, Mike, a... 32nd, if somebody is listening to this and they are in a situation or are very, very close kind of secret keeper with a person who is in this, uh, what is a a tangible next step that they could take that would be helpful as a result of hearing Reach out. You feel alone. You feel scared. Um, And and really you feel hopeful. This maybe is somebody you love and you really don't want their whole life to fall apart. That's dangerous. Think of who is a trustworthy, wise person in your life, Christian or non-Christian, who God is calling you to reach out and tell. The Bible is so clear. The truth will set you free. Someone needs to know the truth about your situation. Uh, Someone whom you can trust, they're not going to just go immediately blab it, but they will talk over with you the wise next step. And if it's common... 
if it's repeated, the kind of abuse you're experiencing, uh, um, I'm, I'm really sad uh, for you. Uh, I'm not going to overspeak to that right now, but yeah. uh, even I, as your pastor, I, I would love to be your first reach out, and you can do that off our website. There's lots of ways to find me. Um, yeah, there are a lot of there are a lot of things that we do um, as full time religious people, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call what it is that that we do. And those of us who work here at Lake Forest, and in a in a in a healthy uh, way, the way that we're wired and the way, Mike, that you've built this team at this church is we are a bunch of people that um, part of the joy of what we get to do is to see Christ bring healing into even just the worst situations. Yes. And there's no joy in the situation, but man, no. there is there is such a neat joy in watching to see what God can do in this stuff. So we, we are honored um, to be a family and a tribe that gets to to hang with people in the highest of their highs and even sometimes in the lowest of their lows so yeah, yeah that's right and that is a privilege um it's a real privilege angie and i were out walking in a local park last week ran into a, a precious family here and i was reminded number one of deep dark place they got to in their lives it was not what we've just been talking about but yeah. something deep and dark the the anguished months and years of seeking healing from Christ, the hard work and the beauty of being people who really reflect in their family and their relationship and on mission the uh, the love and the grace and the mission of Christ. I'm just so proud and I, I admire the grace of God in them. And uh, after I talked to them for a few minutes in the park, I just went on with my soul lifted. Yep. And encouraged to keep going. That is what uh, the what God through the Holy Spirit has the power to do in us. So mm-hmm. we are uh, we are very very excited over these next weeks to continue uh, to explore that with you guys on Sunday mornings and here on the podcast as we as we look at who the Holy Spirit is and and uh, there are some great things possible this weekend we're going to be talking about self-control mm-hmm. uh, so we really hope that you all join us at 10 o'clock on sunday mornings facebook live stream hang around after if you have questions and house church brunch party that's right hopefully hopefully <laughs> soon hopefully soon just in your own house <laughs> that's right yeah hey one house brunch party yeah um so we uh we love you guys thanks for jumping in with us here again we look forward to uh to getting together once again next week 